Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Mother's Day is almost here. Have you found that truly special sentimental gift for your mom yet? Don't worry, I got you. MyLifeInABook.com is a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Here's how it works. Every week, MyLifeInABook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions that you want to ask. And then she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature And MyLifeInABook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges that she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and your children can treasure forever. Your mom has given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. I loved this idea so much that I've started my own My Life in a Book for my children to have. The thought of my son and daughter being able to learn about my life story as they grow into their own adulthood is truly special. It's been an enjoyable journey of self-reflection for me too, with questions like, which one event made the greatest impact on your life? It's brought back memories I didn't even know I had. I love it, and I know your mother will too. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER for 10% off today. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. I'm back with another true crime story to lull you to sleep or perhaps to give you nightmares. Tonight we're talking about a grieving widow named Stacy Castor who had tragically lost her first husband to a heart attack and her second husband to suicide. Then, as if her life had not been dealt enough tragedy, her eldest daughter, Ashley, would attempt to take her own life, leaving behind a suicide note filled with shocking confessions. But Ashley would survive the attempt. And what she would say when she gained consciousness would shock everyone. This is the story of someone who was pure evil, in my opinion. So let's start right at the beginning. Stacy Castor was born on July 24, 1967, in Clay, New York, to her parents Jerry Daniels and Judy Eaton. She was a little girl with big dreams who always said that she wanted to grow up to be a paralegal or a lawyer. And in high school, 
she began to take classes that would help her along that path. However, those dreams would be interrupted when she was 17 years old and met a young man named Michael Wallace, who she claimed to be the love of her life. She would tell people that it was absolutely love at first sight. Michael has been described by many of his friends to be the life of the party and larger than life. If you needed anything that Mike was able to provide, he would. Stacy would say, I knew five minutes after I met him that I was going to marry him. And she did exactly that in a small ceremony on April 7, 1990. Two years prior in 1988, the couple had their first daughter named Ashley, and a year after their wedding, they would go on to have their second daughter named Bree. To those on the outside looking in, the family appeared to be perfectly normal and happy, though they did have their struggles financially. Stacy worked at an ambulance dispatch company while Michael was a mechanic, and they definitely had to save and pinch their pennies to get by. Still, people thought that they were very much a loving family. But there were rumors that Michael may have been struggling with a drug and an alcohol problem, and there were also rumors that at one point, there was infidelity on both sides. Still, they kept it together. Ashley was mommy's little girl, and Bree was said to be a daddy's little girl. The kids had a close relationship with their parents, while Stacy and Michael appeared to drift apart. Apparently, love at first sight does not equate to love forever, but they stuck it out for the kids, although there were rumors that Stacy might be looking at divorce lawyers. In the winter of 1999, things took a turn for the worse. Michael reported feeling really sick all of the time, and he couldn't figure out why. Out of nowhere, he would have these coughing fits, he would become unsteady, and he described feeling as if he were drunk, however, he hadn't had anything to drink. Doctors had no idea what was wrong with him. Initially, they thought that it may have been an inner ear disorder, but they were going to do some testing. Unfortunately, they would never get the chance. One day at their home, Michael had another one of these mysterious bouts of illness. Eldest daughter Ashley was home alone with her dad and described him as looking particularly pale and sick on that day. Ashley would later say, One time, he sat up and he just vomited across the coffee table and laid back down and went back to sleep like nothing ever happened. On this day, January 11th, 2000, Michael Wallace would be found unresponsive, lying on his couch. He died at just 38 years old. The doctors would say that it was due to a heart attack, which is unusual for such a young man, but it's not impossible. What's really sad is that Ashley, who was only 11 or 12 years old at the time, she would blame herself for her father's death because she saw that he was really sick that day and she didn't encourage him to go to the doctors. Of course, this was something she would tell herself. She is obviously not to blame for her father's death. She was just a child. Many of Michael's family members wanted to have an autopsy done because they didn't believe that he had a heart attack, especially with all of the crazy symptoms that he had been experiencing just prior to his death. But Stacy, who was his next of kin, refused to have one done, saying that she completely trusted the doctor's determination that it must have been a heart attack. She would have him buried in one of five family plots that she owned at the local cemetery, with a headstone that they would share whenever she would die, engraved with the words, Together Forever. And Stacy collected a $55,000 life insurance policy. 
The following year, Stacy would meet her second husband, David Castor, and the couple would marry in August of 2003 when she would legally change her name to match his. David had an older adult son from a previous marriage named David Jr., and Stacy brought with her two girls from her first marriage, Ashley and Bree, who were now teenagers. Admittedly, Ashley and Bree struggled with their mother's marriage. They were still very much mourning the death of their father and didn't want anyone stepping in who they thought might be trying to replace him. Stacy would say David was difficult with the kids. He expected them to do everything that he said without question, and being my children, they questioned everything. David was the owner of an air conditioning installation and repair company, and Stacy worked as his office manager. During their first few years of marriage, despite Stacy's daughter's displeasure with the situation, friends and family described the relationship as a very happy one. Then one afternoon around 2 p.m. on August 2005, Stacy called 911 to tell them that her husband David had locked himself in their bedroom and wouldn't come out and wasn't responding. She noted that she was very concerned for his well-being because he had been depressed and they had had a terrible argument earlier in the day. She was worried that he may have done something to himself. When police arrived at the home, they called out David's name in an attempt to get him to open the door, but they got no response. So they kicked down the door of the bedroom. Inside, they find David naked, lying on the bed, unresponsive. Beside him on the mattress and on the floor was vomit. On the nightstand was a glass with some sort of green liquid, and there was a container of antifreeze sticking out from under the bed. According to Sergeant Robert Willoughby, when Stacy saw her husband, she screamed out, He's not dead. He's not dead. Paramedics attended to David's body, but it was clear that he was deceased. Tragedy had struck Stacy again, as this appeared to be an obvious suicide. Stacy told the police that David had recently lost his father, and he was extremely distraught and depressed about it. This was likely why he had decided to ultimately take his life. However, David's ex-wife, Janice, she absolutely rejected the idea that David would kill himself, saying that he would never have even contemplated suicide and he had absolutely no history of depression. Police began to think that maybe there was more to the story than first met the eye, especially when they searched the kitchen and discovered a turkey baster in the kitchen garbage can that appeared to have remnants of antifreeze in it. For this reason, they decided to process the scene and investigate it further. The turkey baster would come back as having David's DNA on the tip of it, with antifreeze still inside of it. Why would he have used a turkey baster to ingest the antifreeze? Or perhaps did someone force-feed him the poison? They would also discover that Stacy's fingerprints were on the glass that was on the night table, half full of antifreeze. Of course, there could be a logical reason for this. She did live in the house and she had access to the glassware. She could have picked up the glass at any time and had her fingerprints transferred to the glass. But there were other factors that made them suspicious. It was David's will, which had recently been updated to leave his entire $300,000 estate just to his wife, Stacy, while also cutting out his son, David Jr., from receiving any money at all. So the police began an investigation, one that would last two years. One of the things that they did was they set up surveillance at the cemetery. 
Stacy had buried David right beside her first husband, Michael. Police figured that if, in fact, she was a grieving widow who cared so much about her deceased husband, she would at some point go to visit him. But according to them, she never did. They also set up a wiretap on her phone to see if she might reveal any new information. Police began to notice similarities in both of Stacy's husband's deaths. My family is getting ready to make a big move across the ocean to a place where English isn't the spoken language. This isn't my first rodeo, so I'm making sure I'm fully prepared by learning the language ahead of time. Sure, I know I can use an app once I get there, but you'd be shocked by how much gets lost in translation. I want to talk like a local, which is why I'm excited to use Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn and has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Rosetta Stone helps you to think in the language you're learning using an intuitive process that's designed for long-term retention. Their built-in true accent feature gives you feedback on your pronunciation so that you're easily understood by native speakers. They have convenient desktop and app options, so you can learn on the go, and they offer a lifetime membership that includes all 25 languages at an incredible value. And now you can save even more with 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Sunnier, warmer days are almost here. Why not get a head start on looking and feeling your best this summer by trying something new like Factors No Prep, No Mess meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes. Get a helping hand to meet your wellness goals with Factors chef-crafted meals that include different nutritional options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Healthy meal planning has never looked so good with Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals that are also dietitian approved No matter how busy you are, Factor can help kickstart and maintain a new healthy routine by making it easy to enjoy nutritious meals on the go. Plus, you'll never get bored eating the same thing every day because they offer 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. We're talking restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon because eating healthy doesn't have to be boring. Personally, I love not having to overthink what I'm going to eat every single day because that's half the battle, and I don't have to bother with shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. But the best part is, these meals are delicious with ingredients you can trust. Crush your wellness goals this May. Head to factormeals.com slash napper50 and use code napper50 to get 50% off your first box 
plus 20% off your next month. That's code NAPPER50 at factormeals.com slash NAPPER50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Both Michael and David died in a very suspicious circumstance, leaving behind everything that they owned to Stacy. So they believed that it was possible Stacy had poisoned them both. Of course, again, this was all kind of speculation and all of the evidence that they had was circumstantial. Police needed solid evidence to actually build a case. So they were able to obtain a warrant to have Michael's body exhumed. Remember, Michael is Stacy's first husband, and it was believed that he had a heart attack after suffering for weeks from a terrible, mysterious illness. An autopsy was performed, and the medical examiner determined that Michael Wallace's body was quote-unquote loaded with crystals. A toxicology screening ruled that Michael had also been killed through antifreeze poisoning, just like David. They brought Stacy into the station to question her, and she made a Freudian slip, which I just love when that happens. A Freudian slip is basically a slip of the tongue where you mean to say something else, but your subconscious brain kind of takes over and says what you're really thinking. Investigators asked her if she remembered which glass it was that she had poured cranberry juice in, as there had been two glasses on the nightstand. And Stacy began to reply with, well, I poured the antifree, I, and then she stopped and said, I mean the cranberry juice. Stacy was now very much aware that she was under the microscope and that police were looking very closely at the connection of her ex-husband Michael's death to her husband David's death. She was also now very aware that they had exhumed his body and discovered that he had been poisoned. Still, they didn't have enough to keep her so they let her go. A few days later, investigators called Ashley, Michael and Stacy's daughter, who was attending her first day of college, to let her know their findings, that her father had died of antifreeze poisoning, not of a heart attack. Of course, she was absolutely distraught, but she had no idea who would have done that to him. And remember, she was very close to her mom. Her mother was said to be one of her best friends, so she couldn't ever imagine her hurting her father. Ashley called her mom for comfort and, of course, for support, and police were listening to the conversation through their wiretaps. They listened as Stacy questioned her daughter about what kind of things the police were asking her and if they had any suspects. Then they heard Stacy tell Ashley that she should come home and have some drinks with her. Things were really stressful, and she thought that it would be a good opportunity for them to relax. Ashley was underage at the time, so she thought it was really cool of her mother to offer her a drink. So Ashley went home, and they had a few drinks. She gets tired and eventually passes out in bed, wakes up with a hangover, and goes off to her second day of college the next morning. After school, Ashley returned home, and Stacy suggested that they have a few drinks again to celebrate her 21st birthday a little early. This time, Stacy was making cocktails. Of course, Ashley didn't think anything of it. She completely trusted her mother. But this drink? It tasted terrible, according to Ashley. So Stacy got her a straw and told her to put it to the back of her throat and drink up. It was just a high alcohol content kind of drink. 
And again, Ashley listened to her mother and drank it because she completely trusted her. Ashley would later say that she felt really tired and she went up to her bedroom to lie down. The following morning, her little sister Bree went into her room to wake her up and Ashley was completely unresponsive in her bed. Bree ran to tell her mother that Ashley wasn't breathing. Now here's where things get really crazy. Bree had left her sister's side to call 911 and when she came back, there was a note that hadn't been seen before lying beside her sister. When the paramedics arrived, Stacy gave them the note as they transported Ashley to the hospital via ambulance. Tests would determine that she had been given a potentially lethal dose of painkillers, and if she was found as little as 15 minutes later, she likely would have died. The note that had been discovered beside her turned out to be a typed 750-word suicide note slash admission to murder letter. It read... Mommy, when you read the letter, just remember I love you and everything I did is because I love you. I'm sorry all of this is happening to you, but now everyone is going to know what really happened and they know it wasn't you, it was me. No one was ever supposed to know about daddy. I told you when daddy died, it was all my fault and it was. Daddy was doing things you never knew about. He was drinking when he was at pick and pull house, I don't know what that means, and at Lisa's house. He was smoking pot again too. I saw him. He was mean to you and me and he only ever loved Bree. I couldn't let him do those things to you anymore. You think I don't remember how things were but I do and I didn't want to ever live like that anymore. It wasn't fair to you or me. Daddy wasn't going to be good to you or be ever. Only Bree. I couldn't stand it anymore. The cops said there was antifree in daddy's body, but did they tell anyone about the rat poison too? When I got home from school that day, I knew what was going on. Daddy was barely breathing. I knew he was gonna die. That's why I didn't call you for help or anyone else. I wanted to make sure he couldn't be mean to you or me anymore. He died before I went to pick up Bree from school. I watched him. I knew he couldn't hurt you anymore. Then we were happy for a while, just the three of us. And then you married David, and he was mean to you. He was mean to all of us, meaner than Daddy, and I knew you loved him like you loved Daddy, and you were going to let him treat you like he did, and you wouldn't leave. It wasn't fair, Mommy. He didn't love you or me or Bree. I never thought anyone would miss Dave none, but you loved him. It was harder than with Daddy because you were always home or with him. But I did it. I made sure he would never hurt you anymore. That Friday when David came home so you could go to the post office is when I first did it. It was easy. I asked him if he wanted something to drink and I put antifree in his glass and some soda. He drank two whole glasses, that was it. Only it took longer, David, than with Daddy. Once I put the antifree in Daddy's Gatorade, it only took a day or so and that's when he died. When you were sleeping on the couch after David locked himself in the room, I got the extra key because I knew where he hid it and I put stuff in the room. I tried to get him to drink some of the booze with the dropper thing, but he was out of it and wouldn't. I poured the antifree in the glass and on the floor and left the bottle in the room and then I put the gloves back in the kitchen and got ready for work. You never knew, and now all of these cops are saying all of this stuff about you to everyone you know and love. 
Mommy, it's just not fair. When you told me they dug Daddy up, I knew what was going to happen. No one was ever supposed to know, Mommy, and now they do and they think you did it, but you didn't. It was me. When the cops came to my school today, I thought they had figured it out and I was going to go to jail, but they didn't take me. Mommy, I can't live like this and watch what they are doing to you. Not anymore. But I can't go to jail for the rest of my life. I can't put you through that. I did the only thing I could do to help you, Mommy. I know you hate me for doing what I did, but Mommy, remember I love you more than anything, and I did it for you and for us. Please forgive me, Mommy. Someday when all of this is over, please forgive me. Make sure you take care of Bree. She's all you have left now. Remember how happy we all were together, and you will be happy again. I promise you, Mommy. Tell Matt I love him and I'm sorry. Tell Bree to be a good girl for you, and I love her. Now, too, please don't hate me. Remember, I love you, Ashley. An interesting letter, huh? And it was basically one giant run-on sentence with no periods or proper punctuation, and it was just full of spelling mistakes, so I really did my best in reading that. When Ashley woke up from her comatose state, the police had questions for her. She would say, I actually woke up in the hospital and I had no idea what day it was. I had no idea where I was. One of the detectives was asking me questions like, what was in that note that you wrote? And I was like, what letter? What pills are you talking about? All I remember was having a drink with my mom. That's all I knew. It was immediately clear that Ashley had not written this confession letter. She had not killed her father or her stepfather, and she had not attempted to take her own life. It was also clear that Stacy had poisoned her daughter and placed the typewritten letter beside her in an attempt to kill her and place all of the blame on her daughter. The daughter that she was supposedly so close to, who she called her best friend. Stacy was arrested at the hospital and charged with murder and attempted murder of Ashley that very same day. She was indicted on one count each of second-degree murder, second-degree attempted murder, and a plot to present a forged will. Of course, she denied having any involvement in either of her husband's deaths or her daughter's poisoning. But thankfully, the prosecution had a ton of hard evidence to back up their theory. Stacy went to trial in January of 2009. One piece of evidence that was presented was that typed confession slash suicide letter that had been found beside Ashley. The prosecution alleged that Stacy had written it and framed her daughter. One reason they believed this was because of the way antifreeze was written in the letter. It was written as antifree, which is how Stacy had said antifreeze in all of her police interviews. They also pointed to the glass of antifreeze found in David Castor's bedroom that had Stacy's fingerprint on it, and the turkey baster that had traces of antifreeze that they found in the trash can of the home. It also had David's DNA on the end of it. Why would he have used a turkey baster to poison himself? It appeared that Stacy had force-fed him the poison with the baster. And while the majority of people believed that Stacy was guilty, with many calling her the Black Widow, Stacy's mother always stood by her side, believing that it really was her granddaughter Ashley who killed both men. And this is exactly what the defense team argued as well. Even though Ashley was only 11 or 12 years old at the time that her father died, they said that Ashley had always had mental health issues and that she had plenty of time to kill both men, 
and that her written confession sealed the deal. But in the end, after four days of deliberation, the jury did not agree, and Stacy was convicted of second-degree murder of David Castor, attempted murder of her daughter, and forging David Castor's will, leaving all of his money to her. Her daughters, Ashley and Bree, spoke after the decision was handed down. The biggest question I ask is why? Why did she do these things? I know that's probably never going to be answered. There are so many things that she has ruined. She'll never be able to see Bree graduate. My father will never take me down the aisle. She'll never get to see her grandchildren. All those things she took away from me. She killed two people and tried to kill me and blame it on me and blame me for the other deaths. That bothers me so much. I had to pretend for a year that everything was okay, that nothing was bothering me, even though I was worried about the trial and worried whether the jury would believe me. I hate my mother for ruining so many people's lives. I don't even know why she did it. What gave her the right to play God with people? And I hate her for having me be the one that found my dad, just like her for having Bree found me. I never knew what hate was until now. Even though I do hate her, I still love her at the same time. That bothers me. It's so confusing. How can you hate someone and love them at the same time? I just wish that she would say sorry for everything she did, including all the lies. And though, and I, and though I feel bad for her today as she sits there by, all by herself, she's the one that did this to herself and nothing bothers her. After my mom is sentenced today, I'll go back to my loving home with people who care about me. She's not going to go home. And if she hadn't chose to do these things, she could be home with me and Bree. She would not have to worry about anything. I've cried enough tears about this, and I don't want to cry anymore. I just want it all to go away, but I know it will never go away. I have to live with this for the rest of my life. There are many. T there are times when I get afraid, thinking my, I might turn out like her, because she was good at one time. But I know I won't, and I, and I know I could never hurt my children like she did. I hate how she tried to make me look stupid in that note that she wrote. I've tried so hard to make something of myself. I have a 3.9 GPA, and still she tried to make me look stupid. But Mr. Fitzpatrick made her look stupid with her lies. I hate how she made people choose side in our family and with, other, with our friends. Bree and I are children. People are supposed to stand up for us. But she's an adult, and that is the decision she made. I think about this at night, and I can't even imagine what's going through her head. All the things that she can't do. I had all these fears about if the jury hadn't believed me. What if she got out and tried to hurt me again? Or what if she tried to hurt my sister? I didn't kill anyone, and I didn't try to kill myself. I would never leave my sister or Matt. I just don't understand how you can say you love someone and in the next breath try to kill them. I wish she had told me what was going on. She was my best friend, and she took that all away just because she got scared. Well, I was scared, too, when I was in the hospital all by myself, and I wanted my mom. But she was the one that did this. I just want to sleep one night without thinking about this.
I'm not an angry person, and I hate being mad at her. I want to forget her, but forgive her, but I'm not sure if I can. I just hope God can forgive her. She has to listen to me this time. I didn't get a chance to say goodbye, and this will be the last time I get a chance. As horrible as it makes me feel, this is goodbye, Mom. As hard as you tried, I survived, and I will survive because now I'm surrounded by people that love me. I'm going to do good things in this world despite making me in every sense of the word an orphan. Thank you, Judge Fahey, for letting me express my feelings. Stacy was sentenced to just over 51 years in prison, but she would hardly serve any time at all. Instead, she died of a heart attack in prison at just 48 years old. No foul play was suspected. But wow, if there was ever a moment that proved karma existed, here it is. Neither Bree nor Ashley spoke to their mother again after the trial was over, and I don't blame them. It's incomprehensible that a mother would attempt to kill her own child and blame them of the two murders that they had committed, all to save their own ass. Stacy maintained her innocence and said that Ashley knew what she did right to the very day of her death. Stacy is buried in the plot next to her first husband, Michael Wallace. She was going to be buried right next to her second husband, David Castor. However, thankfully, David's son was able to legally have him moved to their own family plot. Can you imagine this woman buried between the two husbands that she murdered? It's disgusting to think about. There is also some speculation as to whether or not Stacy may have also killed her own father. Her dad, Jerry Daniels, landed in the hospital in 2002, sick with a lung ailment. However, according to medical reports, his condition appeared to be improving. But the day after Stacy visited him in the hospital, he suddenly died. She was seen bringing him an open can of soda to drink, and it's rumored that she may have poisoned him just as she had done with her two husbands. As the executor of his estate, she had him cremated, and gained access to all of his assets. He is currently buried in the same cemetery in a plot just below hers. This has never been proven, and it will likely never be proven, but clearly anything is possible, and this woman has no boundaries with just how evil she will be. That's it for me tonight. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper, or I'm on YouTube, Nikki Young, Serial Napper. Until next time, don't be a Stacy Caster. Divorce is easier. Bye.